Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Penn State College Democast. My name is Tom Sarabach. Today I am here with our social chair, Derek Mangus, and our, well, a general member, somebody I refer to behind his back as one of the smartest people in college Dems. Take that compliment. Um, oh, this is me. Yeah. yeah. Brandon Suma, is that how you pronounce the last name? Suma, yeah. Suma, yeah. Um, how are you guys doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Tom? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited about this uh, ridiculous amount of testosterone in the room today. Oh, yeah. We had to balance out from last week. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's going to be it's gonna be really intense. Like Lord of the Flies. It's going to be great. <clears throat> so the first thing we want to talk about is the whole situation involving Laura Ingram. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Ingram. And David Hogg. So if you don't know, essentially what happened was Laura Ingram, who has a show on Fox News, The Ingram Angle, is like a generally terrible person. Um, and like in the past, something she's done that specifically is like, like LeBron James spoke out against Trump and she told him like, shut up and dribble, which is just like blatantly racist and awful, but so she's a bad person. Um, and she actually tweeted and mocked David Hogg, who's one of the Parkland student activists. And she mocked him for not being accepted to several like University of California or other college campuses, which is just like really messed up considering she's like a 40, 50 year old woman. Right. And he's like an 18 year old. Like that's terrible. Right. Um, I don't know what you guys have thoughts on that are. Yeah, I think he was in an um, interview with, I can't remember which, which magazine outlet, um, was just talking about how college missions and processes are going. Um, I think he has just a general thing saying about, well, you know, it's, it's hard doing, trying to balance schoolwork and applying to colleges and also trying to, to get this movement going and do all these marches. I think at the, the very end, after just explaining, you know, a lot of people don't get accepted. It's not a it's an unusual thing. I think the last sentence of his was something like, "But you know what? If if, if these colleges aren't going to be part of this this movement, then that's that's okay." And so it's the kind of thing where if, if you just look at that one sentence taken out of context, you can and you have the the desire to to sway and to cast the light these people in a certain light. You can say that as, "Oh, they're saying anyone he didn't get accepted because." Of these movements, even though you know acceptance missions usually happen months before, yeah. um, so then Lauren Ingram Ingram took that and is saying like, oh, these this you know in the tone of sort of like, oh, this poor crybaby can't handle not getting accepted, and you know it's general. Just is it a nice move? No. Does Fox News have a history of being nice to people they don't agree with? Also, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. This is part of a thing that we're starting to see uh, that's gaining some popularity about smearing the Parkland survivors. Yeah. Um, something else that happened was when Emma Gonzalez went on uh, the stage of the March for Our Lives, she had a Cuban uh, flag on her shirt because she has Cuban heritage. Yeah, like Marco and, Rubio and Ted Cruz. Yeah, and, and people cetera. painted that as her supporting the Castro regime. Yeah, which is... Which is absolutely ridiculous. And now we have this with Hogg and Ingram. And another thing that's important to point out about when Lauren Ingram uh, ripped on LeBron and Kevin Durant was that she said they should shut up and dribble and then also said, why do we have to listen to them talk? Which, like, is just so clearly racist. And Laura Ingram's just desperate for attention. She spoke of the RNC when they couldn't get anybody else to come speak. This is just... Her standard practice. Yeah, I think I'm always hesitant to to throw the blatant racism out. To I think those kind of things when we when we say those kind of arguments it allows them just like take that part of it and say oh they're racist and throw away everything they say. Yeah. I think we can we can quantify different levels of sort of 
defamation of the Parkland survivors. There's ones like um, Emma Gonzalez ripping up the Constitution where they just yeah, redid awful. the gift. Yep. There's ones where, you know, Alex Jones would say, you know, these are crisis actors. Um, and there's there's Laura Ingram who just makes some stupid comments that, you know, are, are in the in the tone of defamation, but not, I wouldn't say, the same level as any of these other, yeah. you know, things. I think specifically... Um, going back to racism, I don't, I don't want to say that Lauren Ingram is necessarily racist. I was just referring to the specific comment when you say, to like a black athlete or another athlete or somebody who's not necessarily involved in politics, so they stay out of it. And the way she did, she said, "Shut up and dribble." I thought that particularly was racist. Maybe it's not necessarily hundred percent, but it, I think that was the angle leaning towards there. But nevertheless, with, with like the David Hogg and Laura Ingram situation, I think that something that's really interesting is the fact that David called for a boycott of, like, a bunch of her advertisers, and that actually, within the next day, got her to apologize. Right. And then eight more advertisers dropped her after her apology, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. It's, just, it's one of those things It's just... And it's one of those things, like, I think with the last sentence of his statement, like, these colleges don't want to be part of the movement, I think he definitely has some fault there. Because that statement, to me, just, like, seems yeah. awful. I, you, know, you should look at... I don't know the exact wording. It's something to that context. Yeah. So I, don't so like an, I can understand maybe, like, silently or somebody just saying, like, oh, maybe like, that's not true. That's wrong. But I think getting attacked the way he did, where she, like, listed his GPA and did all this other stuff. And it's, like, also, like, a, like a 40, 50-year-old woman yeah, exactly. just going after an 18-year-old. Yeah. And, like... Mm-hmm. And this the, has nothing to do with the actual thing he's trying to promote and yeah, go out exactly. there. Like, him being rejected from colleges <clears throat> has nothing to do with March for right. Our Lives. Exactly. At all. And, like, just because they went through something doesn't mean they're immune to debate if it was about what they're talking about. Yeah. But the smear campaigns with the colleges and, like you said, ripping up the Constitution and the Cuban patch, that's yeah. just not... Well, I think it shows they're losing the argument here. Exactly. But there's something where I'm more moderate, definitely on gun control, than a lot of Democrats. But the reality is, I think the American um, kind of mental sentiment, since Parkland, maybe before that, has shifted to supporting more gun control, being more upset at the NRA. And I think people on the right are realizing that issue. And maybe, I don't think it's going to be a massive change where, like, you'll see the entire country move for gun control. But the people on the right are realizing they're essentially losing on this argument right now because the Democrats have such... Um, I guess pathos with the death of 17 children and the way they're pushing it and they don't know what to do so they're just kind of throwing out these like heinous attacks to to their base essentially to try to get that support. And with the survivors leading this whole this whole debate which we haven't seen in the past. The one thing I I find ironic with the Lauren Ingram is that you know it's this tendency that Republicans like to say they're for the free market until the free market goes against them. Yeah. Kind of thing where it's like, oh, no, you should be able to, you know, the free market will decide what are the good ideas and bad ideas. And then it's like, oh, but not when we say bad ideas. Right. Yeah. You know, it, when YouTube decides we want we don't want to see conspiracy videos, that's then you know, the free market being being bad. Then we have to control it. But when yeah. it's when it's someone being promoted in these March for Our Lives movements coming out and and motivating these changes in the free market, then that's something to be stopped. Yeah, I think too, like, I guess this is kind of a side point, but specifically with Twitter, when you see Twitter, like, banning white supremacists and all that stuff because it literally harms their company itself. They're making a financial decision. Then you just see people that would support the free market just being like, no, or like, with Trump himself, with the tariffs he recently passed, people that support the free market being like, oh, no, these are good. I mean, not always, but yeah, that's a great point. Um, 
So if there's nothing else to say about that, um, do you guys have any other thoughts? We can move on. So another really, really pressing issue, um, it has to do with police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it's two actually different events, I guess, coinciding and are going on right now. Um, so the first one to mention is Alden Sterling um, was a victim of police brutality. He was um, laying on his stomach with police standing over him, um, and he was shot and murdered. Um, the, I believe it was July 2016, I think was the exact date. Um, but his, the officers in that trial, um, and it was in Baton Rouge, are currently up for trial today, so you're going to see the decision. Um, it's one of those issues where more and more videos are coming out to make them seem guilty, so I think it's going to be very interesting um, I think the result of that, what that means, and what's going to happen further with that issue. It, it's it's always hard, though, to convict police officers for several reasons. Um, one is somewhat good, somewhat bad, is that we want to give them some some leeway in their job. We can't make it so restrictive that they, you know, you have to wait until you've been shot 10 times to be able to, to fire back. Yeah. Um, but we there's another point, too, that it's, if it's a jury trial... Cops are one of the few people I've found that are that actually do get benefit of they innocent until proven guilty. That you have to prove that they are that they had done all of these that things. They intend. Yeah. Um, whereas I think a lot of people that don't have these professions do get some don't get as much you know, innocent until proven guilty, even though that's what is technically should be on the you know, on the law itself. Um, but that runs into the whole issue of what's it, qualified immunity issue that's come up where it's. Um, you have to decide whether we get police officers leniency in deciding when they are in danger naturally and to a degree where maybe it's a bit too much. Yeah. Um, I think a big issue too with this particular case um, is I think it, it's the reality that I think it's one of those instances where you have these police officers that are really looked at at 100% as innocent until proven guilty but there's more and more evidence out there that's making them too um, I don't want to say like it's not a jury, but like society itself, I guess, don't have the power to decide here. But they're seeing more and more evidence that make them in the eyes of society look more guilty. And it's one of those realities where it's going to be very interesting, I guess, to see the result. Because if they are, I guess, convicted, it's going to be um, not necessarily a win because obviously someone who is not necessarily innocent, but generally innocent in this issue did not deserve to die, um, still passed away. But with these specific police officers, it'd be a win in that I think it sends a shockwave to people that might um, be liable to do police brutality in the future or might feel um, like they have too much power that they don't. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But it also could be reversed where if they're acquitted and there is all these videos and there's more and more videos that keep coming out, there's going to be a massive uproar. Yeah. Um, I think another uh, problem here is, and I don't know if it's in the Alton Sterling case, but I mean, a lot of times the police officers are friends with the people that are supposed to be investigating them and trying them, not nefariously, yeah. but um, a lot of times like their kids go to the same school, they're from relatively similar neighborhoods, and it just um, kind of creates an us versus them feeling, I yeah. feel like. And then oh, one thing is more in distress is that you know this too often gets put as the at least certain media side of that liberals hate police officers. Mm-hmm. I think it's more in distress that there's a difference between pointing out when individual actors are acting badly um, and when there's a a societal problem overall in a general atmosphere than saying and the individual police officer is bad. You know most police officers 
don't go out of their day thinking like, oh, I want to kill people today. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, they're, they're a bunch of good people that through a combination of both um, individual bad actors and also some some societal, pre- some, not say societal, but some um, organizational pressures that the, the, a lot of these things can't happen at the whether that be lack of training, whether that be putting people in these situations in the first place, and or you know just higher bars for entry. Yeah, I think especially um, going back to that, when we talk about the idea of all police officers, sort of the state college and the actually university part of police departments, um, I've actually had the opportunity to, add to as with my role in student government to ask the police chief for University Park about his opinions on police brutality and what they're doing to prevent it. And it, whenever I said this question, the at and his. Well, I'm probably going to cut this little section, but whenever I had this discussion with him, what he said is that they have many steps to prevent this in state college. They are um, working to build a more diverse and aware police force to prevent issues like this happening. So I think you are seeing um, police reform on the good side. And I think many police officers are good. It's just the reality that I think when you have such a low barrier to entry, not that it is necessarily very low, but when you have such a large population of police officers, you're not going to get... Um, 100% good ones, and that's what we're seeing now. Um, and it is an issue um, that is just it's very comprehensive. It's very difficult to deal with. Like a lot of people tend to make it very simple um, on the right or on the left, and it's so complicated and difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these things, it's even, um, we're getting to one in the future, but kind of cases where, you know, if you put yourself in those situations, you might see how you you would act that way. Yeah. Um, if you don't know whether your life is in danger, but I think that's where you know we give a lot of a lot of respect to police officers. I think we, we should give a lot of respect to police officers. But with this respect and power, I think has to come what's the, the Spider-Man quote? With great power comes great <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. Is that we because we are entrusting you with protection of of society, of our lives, of of you know, freedoms in general. We do have to put a a high bar for for what we should expect of you when you're acting in these duties. Yeah, and I think with that, when it comes to your responsibility, like specifically with the Alton Sterling trial, we're not holding these officers responsible for their actions unless they're facing consequences more than getting three weeks paid leave or um, just getting fired from their jobs. I, I don't think it, we're giving these people a lot of power. They need to be held responsible. And I think being able to face, I guess, legal threats for doing something wrong is really important to that. Um, so if we want to talk about the second issue concerning police brutality that's very relevant right now, it's the Stefan Clark shooting that happened in Sacramento, and that was really recent. Um, so the story with that is that the police were called to the area and they had a report of, um, I believe, an African-American man specifically, I don't know if it was mentioned in the call, um, breaking into car windows in the area. Um, but what ended up happening is they approached him um, and he kind of ran... Um, and they actually ended up shooting him in his grandparents' backyard, um, which is really crazy. Um, it's one of those things where it's like you're in a fearful situation. You don't know what's going on. It's understandable to run. Um, but it was very like the news article I'm reading calls it like a macabre display, display because the grandparents didn't know somebody was shot in their backyard. They just heard gunshots. They called the police. And it was actually their own grandson. And they had to witness that. So it's pretty pretty messed up situation there. Um, to the credit of the police department, I think it's soon after released the body cam videos of, of the police officers, and you can you can see what they they saw. Essentially, what they it's dark outside. They're running. They go around a corner, and he he has something in his hand, and they assume then that's a gun and start firing. I think empty their their magazines. 
Um, and this is another case where, like, yes, yeah, so you could see if, if you did not know whether the person had a gun, you might, you know, and you don't see anything, you might be able, there's some sympathy in that, oh, I don't know, I, I might feel my life is in danger. Um, and this is where I think, again, we should hold police officers to a, to a higher standard. And just because someone has something in their hand, especially if it's the case where there's, I think it'd be, he's reported armed with a, a gutter. Was that the, I think the... Um, I have no idea. I, I thought that was a, a thing where they thought he was breaking the windows with a, with some gutter, you know, this like plastic a, piece of... With a toolbar or something. Well, that was, that's another point of the story, is that the, the story has changed. Yeah. At first he had a gun, and then he had a toolbar, a crowbar, and then... And now a cell phone. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, there's a variety of things we can do to address this, not just in training, but for instance, why is the first instinct the lethal option? Why is there no non-lethals? Exactly. If you actually watch the body cams, they don't have any non-lethals on them. Yeah. Um, they have to wait. They, after the initial shooting, they reload and sort of watch the body for another five, ten minutes as more police officers show up, waiting for someone that has a non-lethal or a, um, I can't remember what the, they call it, I think a tank, but I think it's something like it's just like a personal protective outfit. Yeah. Um, so what, why is it that that's not an option all the time? Why is that not the first and, and immediate option and only once it's once there's a clear and imminent threat to your life that you can take the you can take exactly. another's life? Yeah. And they each officer fired 10 shots <clears throat> at Stefan Clark. And after the shooting, the audio on the body cameras was cut off for unknown reasons. Oh wow. Which seems to happen a lot yeah. in these situations. That's another thing with the body camera issues. I, I think it's it's if you look at actual studies, it's difficult to say that it necessarily improves police behavior. I think there's been some discussion of that specifically, um, but I think another issue is making sure that the footage and the audio is unedited, so it can actually be used as evidence, which is the purpose of it existing. And I think it does a lot for police officers themselves too, because if there ever is a situation where police officers are um, justified in taking someone's life where they are legitimately threatened, there will be evidence to support them. Um, so I think it's a big issue just making sure body cameras are always consistently working. Um, yeah. And there's some way that you have to, I think there's issues you have to turn on, or yeah. I think some that are say connected to the sirens. So if you don't turn on sirens, some of the footage won't, yeah. won't go. But yeah, body cams, I think all the police departments I've heard, maybe it's not entirely universal, but are like, yes, please give us these. You know, when, when we're doing do things correctly and then we can show these people like, no, this is this is why we need to do all these steps. Yeah. These body cams are great for us. There's, I, I think on, that's a thing that's been accepted by police officers, people, community, and all over. Yeah, saying, it's one of the yeah. things where it's like, why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. It definitely, it'll only benefit just everybody yeah. in the situation. Um, so I'm interested, I, I want to give my opinion on this. Um, so specifically related to the Black Lives Matter movement, they've been involved with a lot of these um, and I want to hear your thoughts specifically, but I'm going to say mine first. Um, and I, you, I really think that the Democratic Party itself um, needs to make it a more public ally of the Black Lives Matter movement. I think the Democratic Party needs to really work with that group um, and into the future. I think that was a lot of criticism in the 2016 campaign uh, for president that that didn't happen. And I think that's a really big issue. And we're seeing this issue of police brutality um, just more and more keeps coming up over and over again. And I don't think... Um, the movement can really move forward until it gets support from um, the Democratic Party or a very large organization. And I think it needs to be brought more to the mainstream. Um, and you're seeing this issue time and time again. And I think it just shows, um, going back to Parkland, it shows that whenever the entire party or a very large group of people are mobilized, you can't see results and you can't see pushing. 
Um, but I think that really needs to happen. So I think the Democratic Party really needs to work more to align with that. Uh, do you guys have thoughts on that? I totally agree. Um, I It's another thing that I don't see why not. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then we want to move on from that topic. Um, so this is another really big issue with the <laughs> Trump administration. Um, they're moving to add. Um, is it adding a census question? So it's somewhat complicated. There's a... There's a question that's been on the long-form census recently, but not on the, the more common short-form uh, census, which everyone gets, um, which is just asking about um, citizenship. So it essentially, instead of being on the long-form census, which goes out to one in six households, it would now go to everyone in the, every household in the United States. Yeah. Um, so the question, I believe it is, is this person a citizen of the United States? Um, and there's several different yes options. So you can say, yes, um, I will live in Puerto Rico, or yes, I was born in the United States, or yes, um, I was born to American parents in a foreign country. Um, and then there's just the singular no answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the issues that have been brought up with this is the reality that it's going to um, essentially push away and make uncomfortable a lot of people that have relatives that are immigrants um, that might be undocumented. Um, it'll make people that... Um, or is, uh, I believe, of Arabic descent uncomfortable as well, is what was reported by the New York Times um, in an op-ed. It's kind of thing where it's it's sort of a a wink and a nod designed to to sort of root out. And you have to to ask yourselves, what is the purpose of the census? Um, Is the purpose of the census to count everyone who is not illegal or is not a, or is not afraid of the government to respond or is the job of the census to count every individual in the United States? Um, and generally it's been seen as just counting everyone in the United States. We need to know who the people are. You know, if I go to, to a, a school or I have a, say I have a daughter that goes to a school, and no matter how many of those refuse to respond to the census, the amount of people that respond dictates how much funding the teachers of that school get, the police officers for that area get, et cetera, et cetera, from the federal government. Um, so the, the worry of this thing is that, one, the question hasn't been sort of tested. Normally, there's a long process by which they test the response of, of okay, how would this wording, how does this exact question affect response rates? Um, because even something simple as, as a simple wording can change very much how people respond to a question. Um, we've known this for surveys. Obviously, um, but there's a fear that this, if we both not count illegal immigrants and not count anyone who might live in the same households or who even just might fear the government knowing knowing this information. Now, technically, you know, by law, they're not allowed to share the information with with any of these other agencies that you might hope that they wouldn't. Um, but there's whether everyone is fully aware of that and whether people are willing to take that risk that the administration would not try and overstep its bounds, that's the question they, that's you have, to, yeah. you have to realize is going through people's minds when they fill out, okay, should, how do I respond to this in the, in the census? So, yeah, <clears throat> the last time that the census asked whether respondents were citizens was in 1950, and six former heads of the Census Bureau have already written to Wilbur Ross about this. Um, like Brandon was saying, I think that, well, I think that's just so clearly, um, just transparently political yeah. by the Trump administration. Um, especially like the very first day the guy was in office, he's talking about, oh, three million immigrant or illegal immigrants voted for Hillary Clinton. That's why I lost a popular vote. Um, 
about. What so it'll be the, interesting. What's the administration's justification for why why they need this information? So the Justice Department had requested, this is according to the New Yorker, the Justice Department had requested the change in December on the grounds that it needed to better enforce Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which is designed to prevent violations of voting rights. Can someone look up Section 2? Because I think that's, if someone doesn't mind, that's the, the actual wording, if I remember correctly, is just saying that you need to ensure that the, the, there is no discrimination on voting in terms of things like Race, religion, um, language, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I'm looking up right now. Um, um, so, so something interesting is in 2013, when the Supreme Court struck down part of the Voting Rights Act, Jeff Sessions, who was at that point a senator from Alabama, said that it was, quote, good news for the South. No, let me, again, okay, I don't want to, this is like off topic, but the yeah. Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act said I do a lot of research on this for a debate topic. What essentially what it did was because the South had in since like instituted all these Jim Crow laws and all these literacy exams and all these different laws, essentially what they're doing voter um, suppression. Yeah, voter yeah, suppression exactly. laws. And essentially what they're doing with abortion now where um, you can't get rid of uh, people like I guess um, you can't just say black people can't vote. Yeah, but you're doing you all these target, like dink and ducks yeah. to essentially target minorities specifically yeah, exactly. for voting. Exactly. So there were so many of these laws and they didn't have time to strike them all down. So literally what the Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act said was, hey, before any of these counties in the South pass a voter law of their own, you have to take it to us and make sure it's good, um, which obviously has the benefit of um, preventing those laws. And I think Jeff Sessions' point allies to other things was that it was very cumbersome and that it had been 40 years. But if you actually look at the realities, as soon as this is repealed, Mississippi and Missouri and a few other counties and states in in the South passed laws, um, like voter ID laws, for example, that are specifically discriminatory. So you just saw the exact repercussions of that. Um, But Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act says... um, it prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race, color, and membership. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no voting qualification or prerequisite to voting or standard practice procedure shall be imposed or applied by any state or political subdivision to deny or abridge the right of a citizen to vote on account of race or color. I think they've added some, some yeah, since see, the original 1965. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I, I, I looked at justification like, okay, I, I can see if they're trying to say we want an accurate count of all the citizens for when we're doing our, our, our districting or um, the people that can vote to say number of representative seats and how those are divided. Um, obviously, there's problems with that. But then to look at Section 2 and say, okay, this is our justification because if we do not know the census data combined with their citizenship, we there's going to we can't decide whether or not there's discrimination based on race, color, or or language. I, I the only thing I I'm used to trying to get into the minds of, of people opposed and trying to think okay, where are some counter arguments? And the only way I could think of that that could possibly happen is if we can find a community where all the all the legal residents actually no, because it doesn't even actually legal residents. All the legal residents um, spoke English. Then you can maybe say adding English to as a requirement isn't a violation, but. Yeah. The, the, even then, because it doesn't ask citizenship, it just says it doesn't ask language. Uh, yeah, it doesn't ask legal, illegal. No. So the the only way you could be like, oh well, the, this thing isn't illegal because one hundred percent of the actual people in there aren't illegal. Yeah. Or, um, aren't 
this doesn't apply to all the ones who can't actually vote in in elections. Yeah, I think this is just another example of the Trump administration doing something horrible and then coming up with an excuse as to why they did yeah. it. That's always like their sec. Like they're like, all right, let's get this out of here, and we'll just we'll come up with some way to justify what we're yeah. doing. And this is very, I think, a difficult proposition because it, there's obviously major ends of the question that are negative. But I think the idea of um, and obviously with the Trump administration, you don't really want to have this information. But I think the idea of knowing the exact number of undocumented immigrants or a close estimate would be beneficial um, in the sense that it helps a lot of the arguments where you say it when, with passes, with creating a path to citizenship, mm-hmm. where you say, well, there's 10 million um, illegal immigrants already in the United States. Like, we're never going to be able to get rid of them, et cetera. We should make a path to citizenship. I think it helps that argument, but it's definitely not going to be used in that way. It's only going to be used um, to, if anything, at the lowest level, just make these specific minority groups that are kind of liable to this, um, that would be undocumented immigrants, uncomfortable when getting censored. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a lot more nefarious, and I, I'm just interested to see what's going to happen with it. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this is happening after uh, some major Supreme Court decisions on gerrymandering and stuff yeah, like that. definitely. Um, so, oh, next thing uh, we can talk about um, is the idea, or not the idea, the reality that Russian diplomats have gotten expelled from, I think, 20 countries, including the United States, um, that Russia in return has expelled diplomats um, from its country, specifically from America. I do not know if there's other countries that have been expelled. I'm not aware of that either, but yeah, yeah. it's... Um Obviously, it's, it's a tick-for-tack move on as a or, original response to the poisoning of a, of a former Russian spy and his daughter, I believe, in yeah. England. Um, just as a way to, because of that poisoning, we, uh, England and several other countries decide to expel Russian diplomats in return. Russia's expelling, um, expelling U.S. diplomats. Yeah. You, you, so I want to hear your guys' thoughts because what do you think that it's, negative for an international diplomacy stance for both sides to expel diplomats? Do you think it's just kind of, I guess, worsening the situation? I, I didn't think it was a big deal either way. The best thing I actually heard arguing for it was uh, this morning I was listening to, I think, uh, NPR podcast and mentioned that, you know, one of the biggest effects of this is that you have a bunch of these people going home to, to their, their country in Russia, people that were used to traveling, used to having all these things, people that are some influence within the, these governments coming back angry at what has happened. I think that's the, the biggest effect that you can have out of this, is that you have these, this large group of people coming back and be like, what did you guys do? We were, we were doing, we were doing yeah. good and also enjoying ourselves and having some, some political sway in that, in that endeavor. Um, other than that, I don't think it's a, you know, it's a huge deal either way. Obviously, we've had these diplomats in Russia for a while. Russia has had diplomats here. That hasn't stopped them from doing things like attacking our elections, Invading Crimea, et cetera, et cetera. Invading Syria right now, there's conflict there. Yeah. Um, but I think specifically, like, and if you think about the actual Russian diplomats that were in the United States that got expelled, I believe, I do not know the name, but one of the major Russian diplomats was somebody that was accused of being the person who reached out to the Trump campaign itself hmm. and during that time. And I think that just kind of gives the, um, the idea and the reality that being a diplomat in another country, while it's definitely important, but if it's like a rival country... I think you said this before we started the podcast, but it's essentially like being, I don't want to say a spy, but like... Intelligence gathering. Yeah, an intelligence there's, gathering. Uh, there, you know, there's, it's, 
I wouldn't put it like the movie is like they're going in and trying to like take pictures of our nuclear submarines, but there is some some measure of trying to roll th- gather some intelligence of what's going on in in the government and also have some little nudges either way. I think every, everyone sort of acknowledges diplomats try and do that. Yeah, I think they they represent their country and their country's interest and try and try and persuade people around. To I think it's thing. one thing whenever it's like a very friendly country who we're hundred percent allies with has diplomats because then it's just working more. Um, with each country, but then it, when it's like Russia or another country that we're kind of have a lot of tension with. Right. I think, like, I'm pretty sure the Russian ambassador to the U.S., Kislyak, yeah, is, like, the identified as, like, a Russian intelligence operative yeah. by the United States. So, like, yeah. we know that these people are just... So, yeah, it's one of the things where I think it's just evidence of a worsening situation, but something I think is interesting is that Donald Trump is the person that specifically expelled these Russian diplomats, which obviously... I don't know if it's like fit false rage, but to a degree, publicly, Russia has expressed um, anger and like, I guess, disappointment with this. They've expelled our diplomats. So I think it's interesting that Donald Trump did it. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Trump or Trump administ- or the administration? I think it was the administration. Because there's, there's actually, if you look at it, a huge difference between how Trump treats Russia exactly. and how the Trump administration t- treats Russia. True, true. Now, Trump is always very flattering, very, very nice, trying to think he can... If you become friends with Vladimir Putin and then solve the solve all the issues, you know. He called him to um, congratulate for winning the yeah, election. After do not congratulate was written <laughs> on the top of his thing, which there's two options for that, and this is like off on a tangent. Either one, he ignored it, or two, he did not read his daily briefing, <laughs> yeah. which I'm leaning towards too. Well, either that or purposely saw it and said, yeah. I'm gonna do what I want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a massive difference in the Trump administration. And I think that's a great point when it comes to that specific issue is that, like, does Trump know or care? Is he just being, um, like, surpassed, I guess, in that specific area? But if Trump did know, do you guys think it's important that he's doing that? Do you think he's kind of being I – don't, I don't think he's turned over New Leaf because I've always said Trump really doesn't think independently. He's really swayed by the people around him. But do you think the people around him are getting through to him more – that he maybe Russia isn't our like biggest ally. I I, I still think, from what I've seen, he, you know, I don't think there's been a single Twitter. Has he tweeted? Has he tweeted about these Russian diplomats expelling at all? I don't believe so. Uh, I've stopped. Paying I think that's sort of the best. Tweet. I was. I never. I have a Twitter. I I don't see the need. But yeah, you know, I think that's the best indication of how his actual mindset is on any given issue. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, his feelings towards Russia. You can. There's several different. Interpretations of it. If you're more like like minded to believe that there's a um, a giant conspiracy in the government, you believe that he's he's nice on Russia because um, because Putin has something on him, or you know, there's someone more like me who just thinks he thinks that he he does believe that he is such a good negotiator and talker, and that he can be so good that if he can he can negotiate and talk to Putin, get on his good side, he will solve all of these issues and be. Amazing and partially just a bit of admiration for mm. he does have a bit of admiration for strong yeah. men. Yeah, um, has Trump unequivocally said that Russia was behind the poisoning? In no, Britain? I don't think so. I know that like uh, Theresa May, has. Theresa May has uh, Nikki Haley has. I think Huckabee Sanders did, but I don't think Trump has yeah. actually said anything. I'm, or, I'm looking. I'm looking through Trump's tweets yeah. right now, and I'm like, oh, I, this is off. You poor, I'm poor so soul. It's, it's <laughs> disgusting. But my, the tweet I got to pick out is on March 28th. So that's a couple of days in the past. Um, the set, this is not related, but it's just so disgusting that it, and annoying. I have to say it. But Donald Trump quote: 
The Second Amendment will never be repealed. As much as Democrats would like to see this happen, blah, blah. Like, that's actually Trump being, like, as far as politically good actions for him, that's one of his better tweets. I don't know. That's going to help him with his base. But I think in propaganda sense, it's so disgusting because I hate the idea that Democrats would ever want that repealed. Hmm. But it just, yeah. But I guess going off of another one of Trump's tweets, and this is another one where it's like, oh, that makes sense. This is not, um, I guess, on our docket, but I guess we can discuss it. So the tweet specifically says, um, I have stated my concerns with Amazon long before the election. Unlike others, they pay little to no taxes in state and local governments. They use our postal system as their delivery boy and <laughs> delivery boy um, and are pay- putting many thousands of retailers out of business. Yeah, so, this is the bad Trump tweets. Well, it's just so. patently false. About, uh, about Amazon paying taxes. I think Amazon has to deal with 45 states and is working on a bunch mm-hmm. of local municipalities to pay taxes. Yeah. And then they're going to complain that the, one of the largest shippers in the United States is giving business to the federal government. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's totally fair. Um, and like you said, the whole claim about them not paying taxes has been debunked. Um, See, and I didn't know that, so thanks for that. Because yeah. I was totally yeah. like, yeah, Donald Trump's right. Screw yeah. Amazon. And like five years ago, you would have been right. I think five years ago, they had to deal with, I think, four or five states yeah, yeah. total. Well, I think um, on an international level, Apple's facing the same thing in the UK where they just didn't pay taxes like five years yeah. ago, but now they're getting rung in. Um, I think Donald Trump just doesn't like Jeff Bezos because he, like, he owns the Washington Post. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington. Yeah. I'm not reading them anymore. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's owning or as we're trying to say, but he's actually yeah, um, on comfortable. I don't want to read the Washington Post anymore. I also, the post with Tom Hanks is a terrible movie now. You didn't like it. No, I, I didn't. I mean, I heard, I've heard people say it's really good or really bad. Yeah. Um, I liked it a lot, personally. Yeah. Well, this is just another move where it's, you know, Trump versus traditional Republicans is that. If you ask like most traditional Republicans, like how is Amazon? They'd be like, Amazon is great. It's an innovation. Yeah. It's it's revolutionizing all these fields. Yeah. And but Trump's more of the populist instinct of and he's, big companies ruining all the, the local stores. Yeah, I think this is this is one of the ones that's bad for him politically, and also more importantly, I think to the point, just patently false. Yeah, I find it ironic that the man who's like, oh, I, look at I brag about not paying taxes on my my thing for ten years. Trash is one for yeah. not paying taxes and is just wrong about it. Like and that's not even a big deal. Like th- this tweet right. got some mentions, but it's like, oh, the president yeah. of the United States just lied yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. I so think, was it Tuesday? It's some, a day that ends in Y? Okay. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think too specifically, like when it comes to lying, again, the way he words, like they're using our post services as a delivery boy. As you said, they're giving but money to a not dying but doing poorly federal business that they're like propping up essentially with their company and he's complaining about that it's crazy right. and that, but i think too with this issue again you said it yourself republicans and people on the right generally are they want lower taxes like they always say like the being taxed is essentially like having my money stolen etc cetera, etc cetera. and then here you have a president that's supposed to represent those people who's just saying like we need to raise taxes more and more on this specific company. And yeah. he said that it makes him smart that he doesn't pay taxes during a Republican debate. And yeah. we have no idea I if mean, he's paid taxes. It's a little bit smart to not pay taxes. Oh, sure. I mean, like if, if you can do it without getting caught. If those loopholes exist, like, why not take advantage yeah. of them? It's a smart business move. But Don't we, have no idea. we have no idea if he's paid taxes for the past five or six years. Yeah. I, I struggle to say that Trump being a hypocrite is big news. Oh, but, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything else we want to go over? Anything else in the news? Um, what about Facebook? 
Oh, that's a great one. I don't understand it either, so if you guys know. What's happening? Is it just in general Facebook Analytica? Yeah, yeah it's the oh, general okay. Analytica issue. Um, so to summarize what happened with Facebook Analytica, uh, up until a couple of years ago, well, essentially there's, the original thing was there was a um, educational, not educational, a, a scientific survey, a research survey by someone in Cambridge, um, which contacted with Facebook and then was allowed to post and gather information about the about the people who click on it and take the survey, and then they were paid a small sum. Um, that survey data, as well as what's called, I think, a general like Facebook Cloud or some, I can't remember the name of it. I'll, I'll get into more details because I think this is one of the major issues with it, um, was then taken from this Cambridge, this Cambridge who got it legally through Facebook, um, and then given to Cambridge Analytica, who then used it to try and predict uh, how people would, not just how people would vote, but what they can get to, to sort of rile them up the most. Um, and so there's, there's a couple issues, I think, that, that sort of strike at what's, what bother me about this. Um, number one, which is Facebook has stopped doing, is that I think roughly like 100-some thousand people took this, this survey. Um, and through that 100,000, they were able to get the information for 50 million citizens, 50 million people in the U.S. Because what they allowed you to do is not just the one who agreed to the survey to take the data, but also the, all of their friends that they, they signed up for. Um, so I think that's one issue. There's, an, there's another issue in general of just um, so what I would call like uh, common language uh, security agreements, common language, uh, what are those, user agreements, yeah, where one I'm one of the people that actually will go through most of the time. Side. Okay, I don't want to use Roku. I'll rather use my Xbox to watch this because wow. the, the services. But Maybe the one person that's not enslaved in the future. No, that's it. Signing up for that. <laughs> yeah, but even even I who usually reads those things. I did not know Facebook. You can get all the the people's things. So I think there's there's several layers in there. There's one people aren't always aware that when you click on a Pew survey or when you click on you know this College Humor sponsor article, they are allowed to get the information, some information from you. I think that's not an obvious thing that most people recognize yeah. when they people who see read cookies on their computer, they have no idea what it is. Yeah. They're like, oh, cookies, exactly. that's good, right? And then it's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's the the sort of the issues I line up are one, people just didn't know that they're giving away data. Two, they didn't know that they're giving away their friends' data. Um, and both of these, I think, also apply. Obama did some some similar things with Facebook, actually, in I think 2012 run. Um, got some data for uh, for people signing up, and then what they do is they would look at it and say, "Hey, we think you can you can talk to your friend and try and get them out to out to vote." So those issues, I think, align for both of those parties. And then, furthermore, the issues that are sort of unique to the Cambridge Analytica is that one, after the data was taken legally, it was given away without sort of any cause. We didn't, you know, once Cambridge had it and they gave it to Cambridge Analytica, could give it to whoever they wanted to. And then two, how they're using that data. Because I think with the, say, what the Obama administration did was they used that data to say, hey, you might be able to talk to your friend to get them out there. What Cambridge Analytica did was say, 
you know, if we show this picture of illegals swimming, swimming across this giant river, that will get someone out there to vote to hate because they will hate this person. If we show this person here who's sort of disinclined, you know, is a Bernie supporter about, you know, all the things that Hillary is that we say she's done with no evidence for, but yeah. side issue, um, then we can convince them not to vote. So it's, you know, yep. there's issues on both the giving away the data um, and what happens with afterwards and how obvious it is what data you're giving and then issues with if, how that data is used. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, I went on a lot. No, that's a great text. totally fair. Yeah. And that's a lot of good context for this whole thing. Um, something that's like sort of related is BuzzFeed released a internal Facebook memo today from 2016 um, where a senior Facebook executive uh, wrote, quote, we connect people. Maybe it costs a life by exposing someone to bullies. Maybe someone dies in a terrorist attack coordinated on our tools. The ugly truth is that we believe in connecting people so deeply that anything allows us to connect more people often is de facto good. It is perhaps the only area where the metrics do tell the true story as far as we are concerned. Yeah. So Facebook's, I mean, they're business. They're willing. They're profit-driven. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're just profit-driven. That was a, there's a general thing you could say of like... Now, there are there are pluses and minuses when it comes to gun control debate, cars, whatever you have to do. There are pluses and minuses to whatever. If we give this giant platform, say YouTube, to, to make whatever you want, there'll be some people who use that to make videos of how to make a bomb. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. So I think there, that's that's sort of an internal memo saying we we think that the value of this of giving everyone a platform overrides the. Right. But I would say that that memo is definitely creepy, but like. I think it, yeah, it's just a reality of any yeah, internet service. Absolutely. But I think um, Facebook specifically, I want to talk a little bit about the business angle of this, is that you are seeing Cambridge Analytica really suffer from this. I think their CEO um, either got fired or stepped down. Um, they're just like overall suffering like massively. I think that company's not done, but it's one of the bigger scandals. But Facebook itself, so you saw their stock drop initially um, 10%. So it went from like 165 to 151. Mm. Um but then their stock has gotten back up and they've recovered. Like I'm Mark Zuckerberg and nobody in Facebook's really receiving heat from this. So it's going to be interesting to see like if Facebook, even though they're not largely at fault, but they're definitely partially at fault for this, if they just get away scot-free. So I know Zuckerberg, or at least I think I know that he's going to testify to Congress about this whole thing. Really? Yeah. I know he was called to testify before the MPs in Britain. Yeah, uh, and they said no. He said no. He said no, yeah. I mean, um, I would, but I'm I would pretty sure that he's going to testify to Congress, and I think that that will have a big impact on yeah. what you were talking the about. The thing about Congress now is it's just because it's so conservative, and it was an issue that benefited conservatives, that I think you'll get certain people in Congress that are especially like, what's that group Devin called? Nunes. The Intel Freedom Committee? Caucus? Freedom, Freedom Caucus. Caucus yeah. Like, Freedom Caucus, you'll get people... Um, that will definitely have a major issue with this, no matter if it benefits the party or not. But you will definitely get, in my opinion, a lot of Republicans that will say, like, oh, don't do it again. Yeah. But, like, it helped us. Um, so well, if he's... Yeah, go ahead. There's... I, I think the one thing that might come out of this is some regulation and understanding of, of data, how valuable data is, what they're allowed to do with it, what they what they can get... What they what they need to ask the, for, ask the commissions every time for this kind of thing, which you know, the laws have not kept up with, with yeah, what data can do. Um, you know, it comes down to given the most common three addresses that you visit, and so like one other piece of information about you, they can pretty much tell who you are. Yeah. These are the kind of things that we give away all the time in our our data. That's something I think the one hope that I think could come out of it, and that would hurt Facebook. 
Somewhat, not as much as you might think, because I think only like 10, 15% of its revenues are from, are from data, um, selling data. Most mm-hmm. of it is from, hey, look, we have this data, we can use it to match up you with your, your customers that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one good thing is this hopefully kills the whole Mark Zuckerberg for president. Uh, well, I, what, what he said is that I don't think he was ever planning to do that, but okay. people hate Mark Zuckerberg. So, okay, well, it's going to mess him up now, but yeah. people did like him and were scared of him so much. He had to go around the country and make himself seem like a normal person. And right. that's what literally what he said in the interview. But now that he's done now, because everyone hates him again. But that's the whole thing. Things will get passed, partially because conservatives in general still do not like Facebook. Facebook yeah. is a more liberal platform in general. And oh, you think so? I think Twitter's more of a liberal platform. I think well, maybe compared to Twitter. I'm saying if you just said conservative versus liberals on on Facebook yeah. um, in general numbers, I think it's... Yeah. Well, that'd be interesting to look at. I think any web platform that like the highest users are going to be younger yeah. and therefore more liberal yeah. uh, I think uh, yeah uh, Facebook probably like in general is more liberal but I think it's more conservative than yeah because you have like old, very old people there and you get to share the really grainy conservative memes yeah. with Hillary with uh, yeah. And, yeah. okay well it's been like an hour maybe 50 minutes I don't know um, but nevertheless Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, um, thanks for having us. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening to this or listening to any other podcast. Again, it means a lot. Um, going into this, we don't expect anybody to listen, and then we get like 50 subscribers. It's like, oh, damn. So um, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Don't forget to rate. Yeah, don't forget to rate. Don't forget to register to vote. Don't forget to vote.